Hello everyone, welcome once again to another episode of the Pace and Space Podcast where we are telling you to take that for data. Once again, I'm your host Calvin and with me as always is my co-host Leif coming to you live this Thursday evening on a playoff edition. What's going on Leif? Man, I'm excited. I'm doing great watching some playoffs. We got some blowouts going on tonight. We're recording this on a Thursday, but... Otherwise, you know, we've had a good playoff so far. Yeah, we, we picked a good evening to record. Just so happened our weekly recording session falls on some blowouts this evening. Currently at this time, uh, the Pacers are running the Cavs out the gym. And the Bucks seem to have this uh, Game 3 in control so far. We'll see if the Raptors come back in the second half. But... You know, while that may be some upsetting or surprising outcomes to see this evening, I don't think any series right now is more surprising than the 1-8 matchup between the Boston Celtics and Chicago Bulls. Talk to me, Leif. What's going on with that series? You would think that the team will rally behind Thomas and ramp up and show some energy out there but they just come out looking flat they have no answers especially with the bigs exposed Um, thomas you know he's trying his his best but at the same time you know they get completely undersized and you can see experience from chicago just really running circles around them. I mean, look at Rondo. Last week, we talked about how Rondo is going to be the X factor. And look at him. He's playing like he was like six years ago. And he's going out there yeah. and just high energy. You know, so I don't know. What's, I mean, Boston, I mean, there's so much to go here. I mean, we can, I mean, where do you want to start? You want to start talking about Horford? The, you know, Horford versus no, no. the... I, I can't start with Horford. Because Who you got to start with? We're going to talk a lot about Horford, but, but I can't start there. I have to talk about, first and foremost, the coaching matchup. And this is why I'm going to talk about the coaching matchup. Because everyone, and I mean everyone, every podcast I listen to, any article I read about this upcoming series, clearly said that even if the Bulls' veteran experience could play an advantage against the Celtics, that the Celtics would clearly, above and beyond, have an advantage in the head coaching department, with Brad Stevens being a clearly superior coach than Fred Hoiberg. Now, I'm not saying any of these people were wrong in saying that Brad Stevens is a better coach than Fred Hoiberg. We've seen the catastrophe that's been the locker room for the Bulls the last two years. We've seen the headbutting he's had with Jimmy Butler over the last two years. But I got to say, game one, okay, there was a lot of emotion. So, you know, maybe the Bulls veterans were able to handle playing through the emotion better than the Celtics young guys. But then in game two, I felt like the Bulls were the better prepared team who were already coming off a win. If Brad Stevens is supposed to be the better coach in this series, I would have expected to see a much better, much better prepared Celtics team to see a lot more adjustments than I did. 
And all the improvements and tweaks and just adjustments seem to be coming from Chicago's end so far in this series. What do you think? See, I I look at it differently. I can't hold it again, Brad Stevens. I'm not even saying that I'm a huge fan of his. Um, I know you don't think you think he's overrated as a coach, and and you and you would probably agree that you thought that he would actually outperform Horbert by at this point. I definitely do. Um, yes. Yeah. But I, I'm not going to take anything from Hoiberg. I think he's a good coach, too. I think, you know, he's had a a tough run right now or during the regular season, and now this is when he's showing his experience. I don't – I think Brad Stevens is doing what he can with what he has. I think that's been the narrative this whole time. But it's that's one thing. hard to say, Leif. Leif, that's hard to say come on, about no. a, team, I mean, come on. a team that's the number one seed playing the number eight seed. You can't say he's struggling to work with what he has before him when he's the number one seed. He's the number one seeded team in this instance. You got to understand something. Look, I mean, we immediately look at the number one, number eight seeds, and we're saying, okay, the number one seed clearly is the best team in the east that's what we're trying to say but they're not no they're not in this instance they're not but they should at least be better than the eighth seeded team in the east chicago's not your ordinary eighth seed though in my opinion they're not I, you're right yeah they're, they're not i mean think about what happened during during the course of this season you've had moments when rondo's benched you've had times when wade was injured you've had all the talks about butler being traded you had a team trying to figure figure the, their their identity out, and here they are right now coming together, figuring it out against a team who quite naturally is beatable. So now I'm not saying that Boston doesn't have a chance. Boston can't come back. I mean, I feel like they can't. But oh, granted, we've seen teams down 2-0 come back, but. I mean, the reality is, I don't, I, I can't put the blame on Brad Stevens. I can't. I just can't. Not putting blame on him. I'm just saying I was very surprised to see as little adjustment as I saw in Game Two. This was this was a scenario where they they narrowly got beat in Game One. So you figure, okay, Chicago stole Game One from us. You know, while the emotion carried us in the be- in the beginning of the game, maybe the emotion of the moment affected us at the end of the game. But game two, a little more, we're, we're further removed from that. We saw what Chicago was able to do. We can neutralize it. Let's get let's get game two and and try and take this series back in Chicago. But Chicago beat them even worse in game two. So that's why I feel like I saw I only saw adjustments happening on one side. I mean, Chicago did a great job of negating those screens and all those uh, different actions Boston was doing in Game One to get Isaiah Thomas so free for for baskets, and we saw the the effect. I mean, he went well, I believe six for fifteen from the field, and this was another, we talked about this. If Isaiah Thomas is not scoring for this team. Where are the points gonna come from, right? And Chicago okay. did a, Chicago did All a right. great job in the second game 
of learning from what Boston was doing to them in game one and taking it away. That's it. I, I, that to me, what you said is what the thing is. They realized what the issues were and they made the adjustments. Chicago being mm-hmm. Chicago, look at, at looking at Boston and realize that they're beautiful. That's to me, that's what it is. They, they're looking and saying, wow, this, this team, the whole regular season, Boston was winning fourth quarter heroics from Isaiah Thomas. Right now, Isaiah Thomas has suffered a tragedy in his family, and it's horrible. And I give, I, I he's getting the strength to even play the, the, the both of these games. In fact, I mean, it's a lot. Of course, at the same, yeah. At, at the same time, this has been the issue all year. Well, they had to rely on Isaiah Thomas to be that scoring threat, to be the offense you need, and. You have people now looking and saying, okay, well, if he's not scoring, where is it coming from? You have people saying, oh, well, I'm guessing it's going to come from Horford. But let's be honest. Horford, I've always been down on Horford. I think Horford. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into Horford now. Let's get into Horford now. Take take the stage. Take the stage. All right. So, look, you know, I'm going to I'm going to say this. I know some people who are Boston fans. You know as well, and they may think highly of Horford, but let's be honest. Horford is a player who thrives when he plays next to a, a good power forward. He needs a power forward. He needs someone who takes the focus off of him in the front court. On Boston, he does not have that. When he was on um, Atlanta, he at least had Josh Smith. He had Paul Millsap. Now he's on his team, and what are you looking at? What who who is that for who's going to help him in his current position? I don't think you have that right now. No. It, it's definitely so not it's not it's not there right now on this team. Um and if they go small, then they compound the rebounding issue even more. So they can't really do that, which is what they kind of need to do to balance the scoring a bit. Like if they were able to move Jay Crowder up to the four and play that small ball unit that played a lot this season, then that could kind of space the floor and that can help with what's been going on offensively. But they can't do that because even with the two, even with the two bigs they're running out there now, Olenek, Amir, whoever it is that they're putting next to Horford, Chicago's still killing them on the glass. And because because Horford is not your prototypical center, you're you're pulling him out there. You're saying, okay, yeah, he's gonna block some shots. He's gonna give you fifteen and seven. That's right now. You can realistically expect fifteen and seven. Mm-hmm. But when you have someone like Robin Lopez out there, who's pretty much, you know, what he wants. He he's gonna rebound. He's gonna block shots. He's gonna focus more of his energy. On, on the glass, you don't have time for this finesse player to go in there, try to get the loose ball. When you have a guy scrappy looking and a scrappy player himself, who's going to get those boards? And then you got players coming off the bench, Bobby Portis coming out there doing the same thing. You know, they're, they're, the Bulls bench is completely outplaying the Celtics bench. They are. 
So this is what you have. You have their weaknesses are being exposed. It's one thing where every any given um, weekday you can win a game. But when you're in a series where you need to play and you're playing the same team every every other night for a week, you can't come in here and play lousy like they're playing right now. That's not going to work. It's the same team who's going to see your, your weaknesses and they know how to go in and expose those weaknesses even more and use it to their advantage. And that's what you're seeing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I agree every everything you said. And, and to go on your note about it being a seven-game series, this also means that things you use to win games in a regular season are not necessarily going to work now in the playoffs because now you have to face a team where all they have to worry about is you and what you do offensively, what you do defensively for the next seven games. And this is a team in Boston that had one mode. Their one gear was play scrappy perimeter defense and and let Isaiah Thomas um, carry them home at the end of games. That, that was basically their model. They take a lot of threes, but they're not a, a proficient three-point shooting team. They take a lot, hopefully, to make enough to win, but it's not like they're a highly efficient team when it comes to shooting the three. So even in this scenario where people have been down on Chicago shooting, it's not exactly like Boston is that is that much better in that department either. So you have a team in Chicago who, which is funny because even though people have hated their shooting all year, they're shooting very well in this series so far. And I think a lot of that has to do with the way they're getting their shots. They know how to expose this Boston defense. So guys like Zipser, guys like Bobby Portis, you know, they're Miritich, they're able to get great looks. Jerry and Grant, they're all able to get great looks, open looks, as Rondo, Wade, or Jimmy Butler um, cut into the lane and, and find these open shooters. And, and not only just that, they're able to get easy mid-range, top-of-the-key shots for Robin Lopez on the pick-and-pop. And I just don't know. It's not, this, this series is not over. But like you said, it exposed a lot of things about the Celtics and how this was kind of a lot of smoke and mirrors for them all season. And it really goes back and you have to question, which I think is the biggest topic out of all of this, you have to question Danny Ainge and his decision not to make any moves at the deadline. Exactly. He's playing against the guy who realistically should have been on their team in Butler. Right. Butler... Could have been on Boston, and not only could have been on Boston instead of Chicago, you probably don't have to face the Chicago team once Jimmy Butler is removed from that roster. We probably have right. Miami in the playoffs or somebody else like that. Because Chicago's pretty much was mailing it in. They, Not to say that they thought that they were going to make it to the playoffs, but they were just like, look, we know, we know what we have here. This team isn't good enough. We'll just let it go. You know, and look what they have here. You know, they're in a position now where they're playing Boston and they got Butler and Butler's playing phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I will say, though, I I think it took Wade's injury to make 
everyone there realized perhaps what Hoiberg and the coaching staff was trying to get those three guys to realize all year long and why it wasn't working up until that point. Because once Wade once Wade was out with the elbow surgery, then it was just Rondo and Butler, and they were able to run different lineups. Then Miritich was able to play more, and he found his touch, and that really opened up this offense a lot. But then they were also able to find guys like Zipser, find him minutes, you know, Denzel Valentine, Jerry and Grant, you know, Michael Carter-Williams. All these guys got to play, and they got to build confidence, and they got to build this second unit, which is pretty good now surprisingly good i mean yeah their their bench is outplaying boston's bench but also i feel like when the bench comes in that's when chicago really hits their stride and pulls away from boston in these games too you know what i mean yeah that, that is true it's like they got that confidence you made a good point there as way was going they were able to figure it out build their confidence and so now with way back the Back in the equation, it seems that they haven't lost a beat. No, they haven't, and they've even uh, Hoiberg's even been able to stagger those three guys' minutes. So you have uh, you have sequences where it's just Wade with the young guys, the second unit, or it's just Jimmy Butler with the second unit, Rondo and Butler, Rondo and Wade, while one of them while the other has the rest. So they're starting to find a formula that not only is going to benefit them in this series, but they might have a good shot in the next round too. Oh yeah, absolutely. If if they're saying that they figured it out, then you can definitely have a a good second round series with Chicago. Which is crazy to say because you know none of us thought anything about the Chicago team all season long, m- mainly because they didn't give us a reason to. I looked at that talent and. I always believed in those guys. I mean, I was never a Celtic fan, but I always liked Rondo as a player. He's had some he's had some low points the last couple of years, but it seems like he's kind of rediscovering himself now in Chicago. Wade Wade has always been a perennial winner. He he's one of those guys that knows how to come through in big moments. And we saw that last year where he had some big moments in that uh, Heat Raptors, was it Heat Raptors series in the first round? Um, and he's, he played very well. And much to people's surprise, and, you know, Riley said that he was done, more or less, by letting him walk and go to Chicago. He has something to prove. And, and with Jimmy Butler, this is very interesting for Piaz. They by getting guys like Rondo and Wade and putting them on this team, they've given Jimmy Butler the ability to not feel like he is the everything on this team. He doesn't have to feel like he's the emotional leader, like he has to be the veteran with all the answers. Now he can leave that for guys like Rondo and Wade and, and just be the best player on the court. Just yeah, focus yeah. on doing that. Yeah, I think that was something very important, you know, because when you consider this wasn't the team that was supposed to be constructed during the offseason. I mean, we all thought that that they were going to do a soft rebuild and we didn't think they were going to get these veterans on a team. So for Butler to really understand now that, OK, you are the player, you are the 
the star player on his team. Wade has said over and over again, you know, he's a supporting actor on his team. And Rondo is just that that solid player who's going to be there, who's like, I can take focus off of you. You know, I can do anything you want me to do. <laughs> you know, when we to rebound, I rebound, assist, assist. I uh, can't shoot, but I'll score. You know, he'll do what, right. he can, what he has to do. And it's all coming together just at the right time. So, I mean, we can't complain about it. It's just, it's interesting to see. And, and really, the playoffs is a whole new season, and they're showing new life. Yeah, definitely. And also, it's good to see playoff Rondo return. Playoff Rondo used to be a thing where, you know, he would kind of just go through the regular season, getting some decent numbers. And then when the playoffs came, then he would turn into this star-level player. And I'm not saying he's a star level player at this point anymore, but he's definitely taking his game to the next level now that we're in the playoffs, which was something he always did back in the past. And, you know, a lot of his defense has been way down the last couple years. But this is still a guy, if he's engaged, he's still a really good defender. And I think we're seeing that too in this series. You know, where, and this is a team where he's not going to really get exposed on off-the-ball movement. He's got IT on ISOs, you know, and it's just driving kicks. So this is right up his alley where he can focus as an on-ball defender and, and really uh, put his skills to work. Yeah, you got it. Clearly that's what we're seeing right now. All right, so we'll have to see how the rest of this series plays out. Game three, I believe, is tomorrow. We have to see how Boston responds, but it's going to be a tough ask as they're now entering Chicago. The Bulls, I mean, you said that the Bulls came and saw that they could beat them. I don't think it took winning game one for the Bulls to see that. The way they came into that that first game, from the beginning of that first game, I got the sense that they felt like they could beat them. They, they They were looking forward to that matchup. You know what? I think the Chicago went into this matchup and said this is probably the easiest series outside of playing in Atlanta. Sorry, Atlanta, I got to do it again to you. Wow. They're like, this is a series made for us. You know, y'all, you don't have the length, you don't have the scoring. Yeah, they definitely were licking their chops. They were definitely licking their chops to play Boston, and we see why now. They they like the way they matched up against this team, and it's playing out the way they thought, and... Unfortunately, it's not playing out the the way uh, Boston thought, but um, I do have to say, you know, you know, our, our hearts go out to Isaiah Thomas having to deal with this personal tragedy, and then have this whirlwind in the media about the series itself. That's very difficult. And let's be clear, Isaiah Thomas is not the problem in this series. He's played as well as can be expected. He's played better than should be expected, honestly. And we're really just surprised at how this team is just kind of leaving him hanging here and not uh and not helping him out and stepping up like they need to yeah and, and like i said that's what we thought was going to happen a team would rally behind them give him some support mm-hmm. and, you know we haven't quite seen that yet right but let's move on because we've got a lot of series to talk about yeah some series are pretty quick we yeah. ain't got to talk too much about some series. Yeah, you know what? Like, let's get can... some of the quick ones out the way here. Yeah. Warriors so... Blazers. 
Um, as expected. Next. <laughs> yeah, I mean, game one was good. That was very entertaining. Um, any anything interesting at all about how it was such a tight game with KD, and then Warriors blew him out the gym without KD? Uh, I wouldn't look too much into that. Okay, just just trying to stir the pot a little bit. I know you. I know what you're looking for, but. And, and I heard a little bit on some pods and some on, on the radio. They were talking about, well, you know, KD not there. Did they play better? They're they're such a they're such a great team. You're you're trying to find a storyline. I'm just gonna let that one go. Yeah, they are. But I will say this team is still built to play through Steph. And well, yeah. And I think that's why they've looked. I mean, it's not surprising that they looked more like the Warriors of last year when they've basically had the lineup from last year in the game. KD is is a new is a new wrinkle to that to that lineup. It's not a bad wrinkle. It's not like it hurts them having KD, but it's still clear even at this point in the season that the team like maybe it's just a mental thing maybe it's just the fact that these guys have just played together a lot longer than KD's played with any of them there just seems to be a different comfortability level when it's Steph running the show and not Steph and KD running the show right and 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 that's what the dynamic is what we thought we needed to see a lot more of Steph running the show and Saying, "Oh, KD, you play your game. We'll just follow behind you." Nah, you knew you saw what worked for you all last season. You have to stick with that and use KD as a the next level. Yeah. So it's something interesting to see for the next for the next few rounds. But you know, Portland, they were in it in game one. I think, I think they've been solved. Uh, maybe this goes five. I, I'm not sure though. Yeah. Let's see. Another one. Next series. Spurs Grizzlies. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Wait, wait. wait. We got we got to talk about the rant. The epic rant. The I'll one of the best rants about. ever. One of the Go best for it. Oh man, Fizzdale. I love I love Fizz. That was just great. But you know what? I would be mad too if I was him. Kawhi Leonard by himself by himself. Shoots more free throws than my entire team? No, that like that does that doesn't fly, especially in a playoff series. You give a guy 19 free throws in a playoff series when you're gonna allow more contact, where it's gonna be more physical. Like, how did he get to go to the line that many times in such a, in a series like this? I get everything he's saying in that. Yeah, but that kind of opens up a whole can of worms this whole going to the lines the way fouls are being called is getting kind of ridiculous if you think about it and and this yeah. is just this just shows how crazy it was i always had that problem with harden and because he's not how, even trying to score a lot of times he gets those fouls no yeah he go and he'll stop and act like he's gonna shoot and then twist his body gets a foul and it's the most frustrating basketball you've ever seen you know he'll he'll make five shots and somehow score 30 points and it's like how he did that how last did... night 
Yeah, exactly. He he scored what seven? He made seven shots, and it was like most of them were in the third and the fourth quarter with the game, like the the ice the game. Mm-hmm. That was it. Other than that, it was free throws. Yep. And it's and it's and it's annoying. So I'm not mad at that rant. No, I'm you not know, mad at it either. Especially he was he was throwing numbers out there. He's talking about how many shots in the paint his team took versus the Spurs. Talking about you know how many shots they took in the paint in the fourth quarter, how many free throws they got. Like the numbers were there. The numbers were there. And like if I was if I was him, if I was a head coach, I would be scratching my head too. I think I think he was. I know he was trying to you know probably get the ser- something to turn his way in this series. But at the same time, I think he was genuinely frustrated and annoyed at the way it was officiated. And I don't blame him. Oh, yeah. It's it's frustrating. You already know you're the underdog in this series. You don't want you don't expect the refs to make it more unfair. Yeah. Well, when when the when the refs got a quick whistle and you're the underdog and the only way you can really have a chance of winning is making the game ugly. The, the refs just took your only chance of making it a, a, a close game. That's basically what happened there. So, Wizards, Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. This is vindication for me and you. We talked all that stuff about the Hawks. Then the Hawks went on like a little run to end end the season. But then the Hawks became the Hawks once again. Yeah. So I we feel vindicated in that one, you know I can't talk. I, we expect Washington to win this series. And John Wall is killing Atlanta. I mean, oh, he's having a ball. This is the perfect. This is the perfect team for him to play up, play against because Dennis Schroeder plays zero defense, <laughs> like zero defense, and he's just trying to go basket for basket with John Wall. And he's not getting as many baskets as John Wall. Plus, John Wall is also like, oh, Bradley Beal's wide open. Let me hit him for a three-pointer real quick. Let me hit Otto Porter for open three-pointer. Well, yesterday, Beal had, what, 33 and John Wall had 32? There you go. I mean, where's the perimeter defense, Atlanta? It's gone. Anyway. Anyway, boring series. Boring series. Looking forward to seeing the Wizards in round two. Where they'll, where they might be playing the Chicago Bulls. Exactly. You want to hear some news? What's that? Cleveland has made this a game. Really? They're up two. They're up two. One o three, one o one against Indy. Okay. Well, let's. You know what? Perfect timing. Let's just talk <laughs> about. Let's just talk about Pacers Cavs right now. Please. I'm gonna say a couple things. One, for better or worse, Paul George has made this series all about him. Number yep. t- number two, Nate McMillan is the worst coach in the playoffs right now. Hold on, let me do a quick analysis of all the coaches. Dun, 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 yep, yep, that's accurate. Yeah, that's accurate. He, I mean, first of all, the lack of adjustments are just killing me. He had Lance Stevenson playing Kevin Love, what was that, for like five straight minutes? 
at one yep. point in game two. Kevin Love did he, did Kevin Love miss a shot? I don't even think Kevin Love, Kevin Love missed a shot in that game. No, and he was he was killing him at the free throw line, and it was a stretch when he scored ten straight points, and they just kept feeding him in the post, and there was nothing that Lance could do. He made it look he made it look easy. Yeah, so those are my things, Paul George. I get where he's coming from. I know people have been saying, why is he talking about his teammates? The uh, the CJ Miles thing, if CJ Miles hits that shot, nobody's complaining. But at the same time, who expected CJ Miles to hit that shot in the first place? Let me ask me 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 bring it up bring it out like this. You look at the clock. Five seconds left. He goes and he passes the ball. Let me ask you a question. In that spot. You are the star player. How many times have you seen a ball passed? Well, hold on. Let me let me back. He did get He's, doubled, so he made the right basketball play because he got doubled, and then he kicked it out to the open man. So, but to expect the ball back. Well, the well he the way he explained it was, I threw I threw a passable out of the double to eliminate the double and get the get the ball back. For, for a shot. You know, and and CJ Miles didn't get to shoot it on first look. He had to adjust because the defense collapsed on him. Um, you know, it was a touch and go play. It was it was I get that. The part about Lance, I actually felt he was right. But it's Lance, so who's gonna expect him to change at this point? Yeah, yeah, the part the part about Lance was right. Um and I think that's part of the problem with him signing so late in the season because Lance is back to being Lance. And there wasn't mm-hmm. that A2 game season for Paul George to talk to him and tell him, chill out. He really came in and played, what, five, six games, and yeah. then they were in the playoffs. But, but Lance was like this the last time he was in Indiana. That's why they let him go when he was up for, for free agency. Right, and and since he's gone, they struggled to find that player. Yeah, the problem and he's come is, back, and he's just back to doing what he does best. Now he plays well. He he's played well in, in these in these few games. I mean, but for every good thing he does, there's a bad thing he does too. Like he'll get too flashy with the ball. He'll do something a little too careless. He or he'll just be like checked out on a, on defense when he shouldn't be. But the problem is, too, he's handling handling the ball a lot, and they kind of need him to because that's the only way to get anything open for Paul George. And the reason they need Lance to hold the, to do anything with the ball is because Jeff Teague stinks. You know what? I hate and, – and, and, and I hate that you're right about that, but you're right. Teague is – you would think that – now I don't think he's a bad player. Let me get that. Let me change that. I just don't think he's the right player for Paul George because teams are not taking his taking him seriously, and therefore they're collapsing on defense. They're falling back, and teams are gonna double up anyone else and say, "All right, do what you want to do, Teague. You know, no problem." At least with Lance, it's like you you're forced to put a man on him because. You know he can take you off the dribble. You know he can pull up. You know he's gonna 
he's going to find George. For what it's worth, George kind of needs Lance. Well, that's what I'm saying. Because especially in this game, when they got that's going on right now, as they got out to that early lead, a lot of that was because they finally made the adjustment of not just having Paul George try to create everything for himself. They actually let him run off the ball, letting Lance find him, letting him be able to spot up because he's a good catch and shoot guy. He's a good three point shooter. Actually, using that to their advantage, and then once he gets in a rhythm, catching some shots off the, off screens, and then you can run the ISOs because now there's more options. But yeah, Jeff Teague stinks, man. <laughs> he really stinks. I like. It's bad. Like I didn't realize he stunk that much until I started watching this series. And him and Kyrie are like mirror images of them of each other, except that Jeff Teague's a broken mirror, and Kyrie Irving is a fully functioning mirror, because they're both offense-only type point guards. They're they play minimal defense, and they're not really going to be playmakers in the sense that they're going to be like a John Wall getting 10, 11, 12 assists and just hitting all their all their, their guys in the pocket in the sweet spots for open jump shots. They're not those guys. But my problem is, with Jeff Teague is he doesn't do any of those other things and he's not scoring, like at all. No. He's just on the court. Because this is not the ideal situation for him. He's one of those players who needs to be back on Atlanta? Okay, but <laughs> all the stuff, all the stuff Lance is doing with the ball in his hands, Teague can do that too. Teague is just not effective when he tries it. No, he's not because he's, for what it's worth, Lance knows he knows how to get Paul George the ball. Think about it. How do you go two, three years of not being on Indy, come back? And you immediately get in 20 minutes a game and being productive. Because he knows the offense. He knows the offense. And because they need him. <laughs> which on one case is pretty pretty much is bad for Nate McMillan if he's able to come in and know the offense. That's yeah, one Because he wasn't even the coach last time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's like how he's able to get in there and know the offense. But he knows where George wants the ball. And George knows how to play off of Lance. That's yeah. what made him thrive coming off the bench being that instant offense getting the team involved plus Monta Ellis is not who he used to be he he's clearly aged so yeah you have Lance you know yeah. that's what you got that is what you got and that's about it you now like you said Cleveland is, is taking this game back Game three, if they get this one, it's probably over in game four. Yeah. This is the game that Indy had to have. And, yeah. the fact that they, and the fact that they let Cleveland come back in the fashion that they did. I mean, they had a huge third quarter. 20-point lead. They were up by 20. Yeah. Up so, by 20 in a must-win game, and you let Cleveland come back. Yeah. So they just pretty much... Dropped it right there. All right, so next one is I want to go to is Rockets Thunder. 
That's a good one. You know what? That's a one that has a lot of storylines that we can can mm. talk about. Yeah. Now, game one wasn't much to talk about. Houston ran Oklahoma City all out of the gym. They yeah. just shot them to death, hit three after three, and Oklahoma City was out of it by, like, mid-second quarter, I think, in that game. Game two, on the other hand, was a much different story. And Oklahoma City looked like they were going to be able to pull that game out until the fourth quarter. And until Westbrook shot four for 16 in the fourth quarter. Did Westbrook lose the game for OKC? Oh, man. You had to ask that question, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask it. Oh, I'm, you hear all the pain in my voice, right? Because I, I, you're a Westbrook guy. I'm a Westbrook guy, like Westbrook you even till I die. Apologize for him. You, you want him for MVP, right? Like TV MVP. I, just just to give everyone a background, I'm the guy that was always saying Westbrook was better than KD when they were both on the same team. So that's that's yeah. how hard I go for Westbrook. But he lost him that game. He lost him that game. There's there's no other way to put it. He dominated the first three quarters of that game, and then he gave it back to Houston in the fourth quarter. Yeah. That is the Four problem. Four for 16 is... Un- you should not take 16 shots in one quarter unless you've made 12 of them. Was it 16 or was it 18? 18 is even worse. I think it was 18 because I think he made four and missed 14. And that's even worse. But my point still applies. You should not have to, you should not be taking 16, 18 shots in the quarter unless you're having a Clay Thompson level quarter. And I I don't know. My thing is during that game they called timeouts. They clearly went and had some conversation as to drawing up play. I don't think the play consisted of him taking a 27-foot three-point shot. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of the game, they were down like maybe one. They were down by like maybe two buckets. And it was within two minutes. I think it was was right, right like two minutes left in the game. And he's chucking. He's chucking desperation threes. It's like a two-possession game, and you still got a lot of time left. It's not like it's 10 seconds left in the game. Like You still got a minute change to go in the game, and, and you're just heaving. There was one in sequence where he shot a three like five feet behind the line. OKC got the rebound, gave it back to him, shot a three like in the same spot, and it clanked again, and then Houston got the rebound. And these, and these are plays where... If you're the rest of Oklahoma City, you, you know, you're Oladipo, you're Adams, you're Cantor, Roberson. Those kind of plays just kind of deflate you, I think, as a teammate. When you're trying to you're trying to win this game, it's like, because, at, and then you're in that problem where you need him to do the things that he's doing, but then he does things that kind of take your will out of the game, so to speak. You know what I mean? So here's something that I thought about. I think the 
this while the playoffs may not be the time, I think uh, after his 10th, 11th shot that he was clinking, I think OKC, the players, could have sent the message. <laughs> it just... Yeah. I, but how, I mean, though? How? I'm, at this point, as crazy as it sounds, <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, I would have called a play where after he kept clinking shots and I'm open and he's not giving me the ball, after a Houston possession, I would have stand there and let him go down the court and let him score. But go ahead. You know, it don't matter if we're here. Clearly, you're not going to get us involved because there were several times when the other players were open. Yeah, McDermott was open on some plays. I mean, Dermott was on was was on fire early on in the game. Yeah, he, he, he was did. shooting well. Um, Roberson was open on a couple of plays. I know Roberson's not a great shooter, but he's he was open and he does hit if he's open. And Oladipo was open on a couple of plays. I mean, they were getting contributions. I mean, I know he had an amazing like out of body experience level game, but it, like I said, most of that was in the first three quarters and. He probably burnt himself out those first three quarters to keep them in the game like that. And that would have been the fourth quarter was the perfect time to lean on some of those guys that that you helped build confidence with earlier on in the game. Like guess you know, put some trust in McDermott. Like let him let him feel that confidence you have in him. Let let Oladipo Run some plays, you know. Go off the ball for for a play or two, Westbrook. You know, get 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 some different actions going on the court, so your team's not so predictable to guard. Because, you know what, Houston's a terrible defensive team. But if they know Russell Westbrook's gonna take every single shot when he comes down the court, that makes it a lot easier to play defense. Exactly. Exactly. So now all that energy is now being saved on defense. And they're just putting more on offense. There you go. Yeah, you know that another. This was another game where, like you said, Harden took uh, like sixteen shots and got like thirty-five points, only making seven because of all the free throws, which was disappointing. Because I feel like Robertson played him very well in that game. His defense was was pretty good, and he the rest kind of just. Helped them out at times with some of those foul calls. Yep, this this is one of those games. This just seeing Harden and Westbrook and their antics that made me appreciate Kawhi just a little bit more. <laughs> Even though he got a lot of those those foul shots, but data, data. All right, <laughs> that's gonna be his nickname. That was, but. So we'll have to see if Oklahoma City can turn this around when they get back home. But you know, I think the I think the players, I think the coach, I think Russ himself, I think they all gotta look in the mirror and say he can't do it all. If they're gonna win this series, as as great of a performance that was, it was also a sign of what's not going to let them win this series. That fourth quarter was selfishness. That's all it was. There was no... Yeah, he can't do it on his own. 
Westbrook decided to do it on his own. Well, that's that what I mean too. Yeah, that's the decision he made. That's why I said him included. He has to realize it's not sustainable. You know, yeah, I was feeling it for the you know first two quarters, first three quarters, whatever. But I can't expect to go four quarters straight just dominating the ball and and every shot I put up is gonna go in. Like that's not practical. And he had a lot of signals to let him know that in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Once exactly. You, once you get to your tenth shot, you can say, All right, I'm kinda I'm kinda running out of steam here. Let me let me try some other stuff, get some guys open, get some easier shots for myself. Cause you know what? If he was hitting Oladipo, hitting McDermott, hitting Adams, hitting those guys through that fourth quarter, then you know what? At the end of that game, at the end of that fourth quarter, there was gonna be some easier shots for him opening up. Exactly. So You know, we we all know how we all we both play basketball. We know when we out there and mm-hmm. after we missed the first six, seven shots, we're like, All right, I'm gonna have to contribute some other way or change it up. And it clearly he just took it upon himself to keep shooting. If it's a regular season, fun. You know, fun. It's a game, you lost. Go back to next day. This is a this is a series where every game counts and you can't do that. You have to change it up. So I'm very disappointed in how he played. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he is too. Right. Um he probably won't put too much blame on himself. Um he'll just say, Hey, you know, I was feeling it, this is what happened next game, but really everyone has to look in the mirror and everyone, top to bottom, <coughs> have to look at themselves. And like you said, it can't continue this way. It can't. No. Well, we'll have to see if they make it. <clears throat> they make the adjustments they need. But <coughs> excuse me. 2-0 was not how I expected the series to be after two games. I thought it would be 1-1 going into Oklahoma. But they got to try and even it up there. Okay. Who am I missing? Oh, Jazz Clippers. So, I got on my notes here. I have a question for you, Life. You have a question for me. Okay. I think I'm ready. No Gobert, no problem? No Gobert, problem. Mm. Well... So you think game one was a fluke? Yes. I feel I think it, I think I think it, I think it was a it, it made the Clippers wake up. Um mm-hmm. okay. I was kind of surprised that it even that it was like that. I mean, it's going to be close games. I don't expect any blowouts. I mean, it, game two is close, too. Right. I don't expect any blowouts. I just think that Clippers will be able to take it to the next level and just win the game. You know, I expect the margin of victory with these games to be under 10 points for each one. Um, But with that said, I'm not going to say – let me take it back. I'm not going to say it was a fluke. I just – it doesn't change my thought process that the Clippers are going to win this series. Believe it or not, I still feel like the Jazz are going to win this series. Even well, without Gobert. To, well, I want you to stick with what you believe. Now, why would you say that? 
You think Gobert? Gobert was one of your X factors. Gobert was one of my X factors, but the Jazz showed me something in these these first two games, especially the first game. Gobert goes out within the first minute of the game. You have no game plan for what you're going to do without Gobert at that point in time because you were counting on him. He was fully healthy at tip-off, and now all of a sudden you don't have him. And they were able to adjust on the fly. They were, you know, next man up. They put favors in at the five. And, you know, that's not something new for him. Before Gobert hit this uh, this level he's at now where he's defensive player of the year candidate, Favors was probably going to be the the starting five on this team um, when they were making um, decisions a couple years ago when they had remember when they had Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap in the starting lineup right and they let them go because they were making way for guys like Cantor and Favors and and you know Gobert once Gobert came in to play so Favors playing the five I don't think that's you know anything out of the realm of possibilities for this team. He, he's a good player when healthy. He's a very solid player. He's not what Gobert is defensively, but he's not a slouch on defense either. And he offers a little more offensively if if he's able to uh, regain his, his form. So I think he can give them enough. And the other thing is DeAndre Jordan had an amazing game in game two. An amazing game. And that's what the Clippers needed in order to beat the Jazz. They would, they needed to exploit Gobert not being there to that level. But do you expect DeAndre Jordan to go off like that continuously in this series? No. And that's the problem. But at the same, but at the same time, it's a game of adjustments, and he and they adjusted to what they had in front of them. It, it took that Herculean effort because for the first two games, Clippers perimeter shooting has been non-existent. J.J. Redick has been out of... He's, he hasn't been existent in, the, in these first two games. Jamal Crawford, minimal input. And, you know, Blake, he's playing pretty solid. He he tries when he wants, and then he does the, the cute stuff when he doesn't want to keep going to the rim. And that's going to be him for this series because Blake Griffin, he doesn't have an extra gear. The way he plays is the way he plays. DeAndre Jordan, he has some games where he goes to this next level, but it's once in a blue. So Chris Paul is really like the steady guy that goes up to the next gear. And now we're going to have the next two games in Utah. L.A. doesn't have home court advantage anymore now they might they might get it back in game three game three is a swing game we have to see how that goes but i think if the if utah takes game three they're they're sitting in the driver's seat and all they have to do is go all they have to do at that point is just go back and forth in on the seesaw with with the clippers and and that's going to be, I feel like that's going to be more pressure on the Clippers than it is for the Jazz because the Clippers have a lot riding on getting out of this series. And we've seen how Blake, Chris Paul, Jordan, we see how these those guys do under the mic, under the microscope when there's pressure, when the seat's hot in the playoffs. And it's not always pretty. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I still say let's wait to see. Um, you made a lot of good points there. I just don't believe that Utah can make enough adjustments to compensate for Gobert not being there. Hmm. Yeah. Unless you're unless you're counting on Boris Dio. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much they need Boris Dio in this series, but it's probably more than they expected. Now that Gobert is gonna be out, especially yeah. especially to play Blake, because if Gobert was healthy. You could have said, all right, Favors, we need you to guard. We need you to guard Blake while Gobert guards DeAndre. But now, you, without Gobert, Favors has to play the five. He has to play DeAndre. So now you're getting a lot of minutes of Boris DL guarding Blake Griffin. And he can do it, but it all depends on what Blake you're going to see that night. If, we're gonna, if you're going to see the, the Blake that... You know, just so wants to show off his his skill set, his primary game. Then Boris Dio can guard him. But if Blake's gonna play that this way, where he's that force that once he gets momentum ahead of steam and goes to the rim, you know, then Boris Dio is is in trouble for the night because he's not gonna be able to do anything with Blake. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna see the Blake showing off all his skills and. I mean, that's the Blake we all like, the one who really gets in there, gets into the game. It's a threat when it comes to passing, rebounding, shooting. You know his defense is suspect anyway. But if we can get that Blake, then I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do to contain him. Right. Well, just an update. It's official. Cavs have officially won the game, game three, 119-114 over the Pacers. There you go. So, Imagine. That was crazy. That's the gut punch right there. I expect a sweep <laughs> in game four. And there's going to be a lot to hear. I want to hear what Paul George has to say after this game, man. Whew. Oh, he's going to be furious. You know he's going to have something to say. And it's going to be some. He's trying to pull that whole, you know, LeBron card. You know, LeBron could point blame to everybody. That's, that's some, I heard and somebody I else brought that up, too. Um but then they also said that he doesn't have the clout to do that. Yeah, he doesn't. You you can't you can't have that kind of opinion and you haven't won anything. Well, I'll say this for Paul George. Paul George started his NBA career on a trajectory to be at the top of of this of the game. He came in to that Pacers team and was the missing piece was like that star they didn't have to take them to the next level and they had some battles with the Miami Heat like every year you thought maybe this was the year they were going to beat the beat Miami and get to the finals they had some great series and Paul George was stepping up in all those series he went from up and comer to actually you know headlining the series with LeBron and then the team fell apart he broke his leg. He came back, and he he's stuck on a middling team now. So if I was him, I would be a little set, upset at my situation too. You know, we were we were Eastern we were perennial Eastern Conference Final contestants, 
and now we can't even get out of the first round if that where's where's my help where, where did we go i'm still playing good i'm still playing like a star so so where's the the rest of the team to keep keep us get going to that same summit reaching those same heights i think that's where he's at in all honesty that's the nature of the nba and if he'll go to another team there's no saying he's going to get the same kind of support Bird has given him these years. And it's not like they have a bad team. That's the thing that I think many people forget. He doesn't have an awful team. The team Leif, may not be... Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Leif, I'm sorry. Go ahead. They have a bad team. No, I don't think so. I know, I know you don't. I, I know I you were high on them from the beginning of the season. You thought they should have been like a top four seed in the East, but I think they have a bad team. They have a Jeff Teague. We already said Jeff Teague stinks. They got a washed up Monte Ellis in their starting lineup. They got old man Al Jefferson coming off the bench. They got C.J. Miles. I don't even know who their backup point guard is right now. I forgot, and. They brought the. It was so bad they had to re-sign Lance Stevenson at the end of the season to get some help for Paul George. Miles Turner, he's still young. It's only his second or third year. I think it's his second year, so he still needs to develop more as a player. And then the the coach that was taking him as far as they were there, they fired. They let Frank Vogel go. They they. Uh, promoted Nate McMillan in his stead. Larry Bird said because he wanted to run a more um, up-tempo offense, which I don't know why you make Nate McMillan the head coach if that's what you want. Right. But this is not a good team. This is, they're only in the playoffs because of Paul George. Yes. Yes, that... They're only in the playoffs because of Paul George. But then again, I mean, if that's the argument that we want to make, I mean, the Cavs are only in the playoffs because of LeBron James. Not really. That's the Cavs went. You they, think the Cavs will still be a playoff team without LeBron James on it? They should be. On paper, they should on, be. On paper. But in reality? Maybe not because apparently. Kyrie and Kevin Love can't win any games without LeBron on the court. Kyrie, but, Kyrie couldn't do anything when he was on the Cavs by himself. Right. But they're also... Kevin Love couldn't do anything. He was a perennial loser. But even in that instance, you, they're as good as they are because of LeBron. But then you also have these players that, if they're around LeBron, can help LeBron reach the level he needs to reach. I don't think right. I don't think Paul George has that. Now I'm not saying I'm not blaming Larry Bird for not getting Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving because not every team can get those guys. No, absolutely but, not. But you could have given him more than Jeff Teague, Monte Ellis, C.J. Miles, and and oh, and and Thad Young who forgot how to shoot. Well, okay, that's true. Now, exactly, they're an aging team. They have to redo their team. Um, you didn't expect Teague to be this horrible. You thought, okay, they were making an improvement with Teague. 
You thought that they would, they're making an improvement with Miles Turner. You thought that they were making improvements, you know, with that young. You thought all these players coming together were going to improve their current situation. Quality players who were going to be playing around Paul George, moving them towards towards the top of the East. And what we're seeing now is that's not what's happened. They're horrible, <laughs> and and that and 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 the in the sense of how they're all coming together. I still don't think the team itself is horrible, completely horrible. That they're underperforming. That's the better way. They're underperforming. There's there's yeah. opportunity for them to be better, and I'm hoping during the off season that they make those adjustments. And they're going to have to trade some players. They're going to have to pull some players in. And knowing Bird, I trust Bird. I know he's probably going to think about how he can improve this team because I know he's probably not happy at the performance he's gotten so far. And and I even might, and I even think in this case, I would say even Nate McMillan's job is not safe. It shouldn't be. You know, I mean, yeah, it shouldn't be. I, I would put him on a hot seat, you know, and say, hey, you know what? I, I brought you here to improve the offense. Guess what? It has not happened. Exactly. It hasn't. And I think you also have to say to yourself, if you're Larry Bird, I didn't put the right personnel on this team to get the offense I was looking for. And you have remnants of this Frank Vogel team, which was a defense first team, and you're trying to turn them into this offensive team without the right offensive pieces. This would be like if Billy Donovan told his team in Oklahoma, all right, we're just going to be a run-and-gun, shoot-shoot-shoot team. They would have been way worse this year because they don't have that type of personnel. But they said, no, we're going we're gonna to be a defensive team and we're going we're gonna to rely on Russ to create for us. And you have to know your personnel and you have to play according to that. And the Pacers... Didn't bring in the personnel they should have, and they also didn't play to their personnel this season. But yeah, I think that's enough about Pacers because they're gonna get swept. We're talking a lot about team that's about to get swept. Yeah, let's not waste our time. We're talking you know, about the seventh seed getting swept. That's not unexpected. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah like last time we spent we spent too much time talking about Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And now we're doing it about the internet. So let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Because we got to talk about the team that is winning by 30 points right now. The Milwaukee yeah, Bucks versus yeah. the Toronto Rap- Raptors. My goodness. My goodness. Now, last week, I got to say I gotta say two things. One, I look like a doofus for saying Spurs versus Raptors in the NBA Finals. But the second thing I got to say is, I was a coward. I should have been bold, and I should have picked Bucks over Raptors in this series like I wanted to. I threw out that caveat last week in the preview, but I should have just been bold and made the pick and went for it. Now, why? And you just cowered out. You just didn't feel I, like I chickened out, and then I wanted to say a name other than Cleveland to make it out of the East, and Toronto seemed, on paper, as the best candidate for that. But I never liked this matchup against against the Bucks for them. All right, so here's the thing. The thing is, 
I'm not mad at you. And I actually, I kind of overlooked Milwaukee's ability. And this series actually has turned out to be one of my favorite series to watch. Greek freak in the playoffs, man. You would think, I, I thought that, I knew what we were going to get. I knew we were going to get a great performance from him. But this guy is just so long, so big, so athletic. Every time you look on the court, no matter where you look, he's there. Did you see that re- rebound he grabbed that it was like 10 feet behind him? And Did his arm still reached for it? <laughs> his arm, he was, he was like under the basket and his arm was reaching back near the free throw line. It was, <laughs> that's how it looked. It looked it really like Stretch did. Armstrong. Oh my! It really looked like he was Mister Fantastic or something for a minute. Like it, I, I swear I saw his arm stretch longer to grab that ball. But he's yeah, he's crazy. unstoppable in this series. So far, Toronto has no answers for him. Demari Carroll is just looking washed up right now. He can't guard him. He can't do a thing with him. They they're needing to rely on PJ Tucker. And, you know, in game two, they made some nice adjustments, and Tucker gave him a hard time. You know, Gianna still had a great line, but it, it took more shots for him to get there, which I think is what you need. But even in game two, the Bucks were two wide-open missed threes from taking the lead late in the game. Deladov was wide open on two separate uh, offensive sets where they could have took the lead, and he missed both of them wide open. So even in this, even in that game where Ty... You know, Kyle Lowry played his best. You know, DeMar DeRozan was was playing well. Milwaukee was still two wide-open threes away from being up 2-0. Yeah. You know, and you look at this team, and they're a matchup nightmare. They They go small ball without going small. They, they, um, they got Monroe, and then they put, um... They bring in Snell, and then you have Middleton, Snell, Giannis as your shooting guard, small forward, power forward. And then you have Malcolm Brogdon at point and, and Greg Monroe at center or John, or, or John Henson at center. And none of those guys had a wingspan under six foot nine. It's crazy. You know, and with, with Chris Middleton and with Giannis, they don't need Brogdon to run the offense. They don't need Della Dover to run the offense. They don't even need Jason Terry to run the offense. All those guys can just be spot up shooters and play defense on the and guard the point guard on the other end of the court. You know, and Chris Chris Middleton, man, that dude can ball. And and, and I'm and I'm so mad about it because I felt like I just overlooked that looked him. I kinda put him in the same category with some of those other shooting guards. Me um, too. Forwards. I, I kind of we we kind of laughed at that contract a couple years ago. Yeah, I'm like, why are you giving all this money? And I was like, maybe just because your cost, the salary cap is up, you're just trying to get hot past the the floor, and yeah, just giving the money. Right. But he's he's outplaying it. But I mean, yeah. Now I'm now I feel like this is steal the <laughs> to have him on the contract he's on because. He's playing great. I mean, not just as a shooter. That's the other thing. Like, earlier, the beginning of the season, 
this team couldn't shoot. Now all of a sudden they got Tony Snell, they got Chris Middleton in there, and now and now they're a three point shooting team. And Chicago, why did you let go of Tony Snell? Because they had too many of those players with McDermott, they got Valentine, they had Meritage. And he and they also had Dunleavy. But Snell looks like the best of the bunch to me now. Or maybe that's hey, he struggled. Maybe that's just because he's on Milwaukee and, and Jason Kidd's using him in a different way, but he You know what? He started playing better once Middleton came back. When Middleton came back, that's when his performance went up. Before that, they had him st- starting by himself and he was exposed and he wasn't getting they tried to give him minutes, but he was struggling. Mm. But now, now you're starting to see what we thought he can what we actually thought he can be. When they drafted him, I thought he was going to be a decent player. And he showed um, from time to time that he was able to get to the basket. He he has range. But now in Milwaukee, you know, he's doing his thing. Yeah, there's no complaints here. The, you know, I got to go back to this. And, you know, this is something I felt ever since he had that, that first year with, with Brooklyn. Jason Kidd's a really good coach. He is. He, he's a really he good is. coach. Take the antics out. I know there was some antics when he was in Brooklyn, and then the way he left to Milwaukee, you know, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But I, I feel like this guy is like a coaching genius. I feel like he's onto something, and he's trying to set a new trend we're not really seeing in the league right now. You know, and he started yeah. this in Brooklyn. When, when Brooke Lopez went down, he moved – KG to the five, and then he ran that lineup where it was KG at the five, Paul Pierce at the four, uh, Allen Allen Anderson, Joe Johnson, and Darren Williams, and he had this lineup where it was a small ball lineup, but nobody was really small in that lineup. You got just a bunch of guys with with large wingspans. You can switch out anybody you want because when you have a lineup like that it's not a big deal if your point guard has to guard the small forward for a set it's not a big deal if the power forward has to guard the shooting guard for a set because they're all similarly sized and have similar athleticism and he's taking that to another level now because that was with with an old man unit in Brooklyn now he's got a bunch of young guys who he can just mold and turn into like the defensive and offensive weapons he wants and he's getting more of them now because he still has Thon Maker, you know, who plays only like 10, 15 minutes a game. Imagine when that guy, you know, finally starts getting minutes like Middleton and Nantesacumpo. Exactly. Scary. And it's scary. It's scary. Especially when you have a guy who's that athletic who can go up and down the floor. And, and it's like you're just breeding them now. <laughs> just yeah. breeding these long guys. Who just who can just take up the point the paint? You can realistically, if you think about it, have Henson, Thonmaker, Giannis on the floor at the same time. I I think they do at times. I think that and and it was just do. crazy. <laughs> they do. I mean, when you're looking at that, when you're that's like Space Jam craziness. <laughs> yeah, that's some monster-looking guys in that lineup, man. Yeah, it's like, what? What do you do? And then you have, and then you go and you throw Middleton in the middle of that, and he's big, too. It's like, man, it's a lot of size. 
It is, and and this is what's very interesting with the East because since the All Star break, the teams that have been playing the best weren't the top seeds, with like the exclusion of uh, Washington. Washington made their climb up into the top. But, you know, these other teams that were just kind of, like, fighting to, to get in the playoffs, they were playing much better, like Miami, Chicago, Milwaukee. Milwaukee has been really good since the All-Star break. And they're showing it just it wasn't a fluke because, you know, you got Coach Kidd in there. You got this defensive lineup that's going to cause teams fits. And then you got Toronto. I mean, what is going on with Toronto? It, are, are Kyle Lowry and DeMar Rosen just playoff choke artist <laughs> I have to ask I wouldn't call them choke artists this series isn't over yet it's not but after, after the series if they lose this opening round series then I think we can come back around and I promise we'll have a pod and when we'll talk about it whether or not they are truly are choke artists because they can still come back we can still just chalk this up as a bad night. I don't know, man. I I I know what you're saying. You know they you know they lost they lost bad in game one, and then they came and turned it around in game two. So you know they could do the same thing in game four. But they and didn't get beat like, like this. They didn't this get beat is... like this. Like they're gonna beat like they're they're the eight seed. Yeah, this man, this is this is embarrassing. It's currently eighty to forty eight at this point. Kyle Lowry not having a good game. DeMar DeRozan's 0 for eight in this game. Ibaka, I think, leads the way out of all of them with eight points. And you know, and it's not the acquisitions because Masai Ujiri, he made the moves he needed to make. Dwayne Casey what can he do if the guys aren't hitting their shots? You know, right? They made they made the deals that they had to make, and these the deals that they made at the deadline were great. Were crazy for them, they we were, were great like, moves. You got Ibaka, you got you got Tucker. These are the players you need. You know, same thing with Washington. We were just like, man, you got these players. Mm-hmm. Good job. But man. But you know what? Tucker and Ibaka, they're doing the job they came there They came there for. You know, Ibaka's been playing great defense in the interior. He's been able to give them a guy that can play center when the game gets too fast for Valanciunas. P.J. Tucker has been playing great, great defense on Giannis, on Middleton, on those guys, hitting open shots. So, you know, they're doing what they're supposed to do, but... W- it only work what they're supposed to do only works if the stars on the team are doing what they're supposed to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's looking I mean, the leading scorer in the game is Lowry with ten points. That that can't happen. But those, it, but he's shooting terrible too at, with those ten points. That's three thing. for nine. It's not good. It's it's not good. They've only had they've only had six assists during the game. And see, that is the biggest red flag because this was one of the best offenses in the league all season long. Outside of Kyle Lowry, outside of DeMar DeRozan's great seasons, this was also this was one of the best passing teams, one of the best offensive teams in the league. 
and they got held to six assists. They're getting exposed right now. They're getting exposed. Yeah, that's bad. You know, and like I said, even though they bounced back in game two, Lowry played great. They made some adjustments. It still took Milwaukee not hitting some shots they could have hit at the end to pull that game out. And Lowry hit a big shot to seal it at the end, too. Yeah. But that's where I feel like when we look at the standings, these are not your typical standings. This is not your typical one versus eight. In this case, it's not your typical three versus six. I mean. No, but we talked about this. Remember we kept saying, I don't think anybody wants to play Milwaukee in the first round. Right. You know, it's not like. You know, we looking. Let's say we look in, at the West, and you have Golden State versus Portland. In that instance, twenty six games separates one from eight. Twenty six yeah. games. In the East, from one to twelve, it's 12 games. Twelve games, yeah. You know, so and then in the case of Toronto and Milwaukee's nine games, so it's not even like it's a a big differential. No, it's not. And so these these teams are are not like running away with the Eastern Conference or they're not number one seeds and like the eight seeds completely blown away. No, you it's know, not like it's past years. Game. It's not it's not like you know when Detroit was in the eight seed last year or anything like that. I mean these these teams they're all tough. They're all playing hard, you know. And like you said, the disparity between one and eight in the conf- in both conferences, that's kind of a big difference, especially when you consider that the eighth seed has the same record in the East and the West. Exactly. They both finished 41 and 41, Blazers and Bulls. The big difference being who's at the top. You got Golden State. You got San Antonio. You got Houston. Those are the top three records in the whole league. And, exactly. and those are the top three records in the, in the West as well. And, you know, the East, 53, that, that gets you about fourth or fifth in the West this year. Think about it. Utah. Utah has the same record as Cleveland. Yeah. And Cleveland's a two seed. Well, this is why we said, you know, LeBron has always had an easier path in the West. Although... Uh, it's, it's to the point where even LeBron's team doesn't look that great. We haven't talked about the Cavs. We focus more about the, on the Pacers, but they're up 3-0, but they don't look good at all doing it. No, they don't. They don't. They, LeBron made a statement that they just click a switch. They're closer to clicking the switch, um, and it doesn't seem like that switch is staying on. It's like they, they, they flip the switch and it turns off or... Maybe they flipped the switch and forgot to screw in the light bulb. I don't know what it is. They just don't look good. Yeah, I mean, you can turn that switch against the Pacers because clearly the Pacers are not on the same level as the Cavs. Even the Cavs struggling and not looking good on defense, they're still up 3-0 in this series. But And the reason I was talking about how good Milwaukee look is looking right now is because we can get the series I think we all want to see in the second round. LeBron versus Giannis. Cleveland versus Milwaukee. Because you want to see LeBron lose and LeBron struggle. I want to see I want to see if Giannis can 
rise to the occasion. I want to see in a series like this, is he going to be able to step up to LeBron's level and go blow for blow in a series with him? I think that would be fascinating. Just objectively, as a basketball fan, I think that would be an amazing series to watch. To see somebody on the cusp of greatness, like Giannis, go up against somebody who's been at that level for a decade now in LeBron. Yeah. I think that's where you, in the past, where they've had players who they put together to go against LeBron. Mm-hmm. I think this is where Cleveland's going to wish they had a player who they can match up against, Giannis. And I got to say, I feel like this is a, like, this may be Milwaukee's coming out party. This this may be them throwing down the gauntlet. This may be the player, the team who can finally usurp Cleveland in the East. Maybe not this year, but they're making their presence known. And Milwaukee is a team that has a burgeoning superstar in Giannis, but they also have a team that fits him perfectly. Unlike Paul, what Paul George has. Yeah, in- unlike Paul George, unlike all these other guys in the East that, you know, Milwaukee has flaws too, but I feel like most of their flaws were true in the first half, and they've tightened up a lot of those things now in the second half of the season into the playoffs. They've got strong shooting. They've got great defense. They don't have a true point guard, but with Giannis and Middleton, they don't really need that. We'll have to see if a team like Cleveland can expose them for not having like a, a true point guard. But I don't really know if that'll be the case because if you let Della Dova and Brogdon just focus on playing defense, that's going to be a tough series for Cleveland because that's going to be a tough series for Kyrie to get around those guys on offense. And with all that athleticism and height is going to be tough for Kevin Love to do anything either. Yeah. It's going to be tough because he's going to try to stretch the floor, go back out behind a three-point line, and usually he'll have some a shorter guy trying to to block him, but now when you have Giannis going out there or Thon Maker or any one of these other long long guys coming out there, it's not going to be that easy. And he's not a defensive player. And neither is Shannon Fry, and neither is Corver, and yeah, yeah. So it's gonna it's gonna be it's it's gonna be it's gonna be something where we this is where we're gonna see Lou, and see his ability to coach, and see if he's able to create different mismatches, create opportunities, and. This is where I think he can make his statement. If he's able to find a way, and now this is us anticipating the Bucks making it into the second round. We're getting ahead it, of ourselves. We I totally get that. But this is but, my mea culpa, you know. This is my mea culpa. This is me. This is me realizing or being honest to myself. I wasn't honest to myself last week. I still went with the Raptors, even though my heart was saying Bucks. So now I'm. I'm just. You know what? Chalk it up. You know, Dwayne, call me out on it. Take me to task on my finals preview, my finals prediction, whatever. I don't care about that now. Now I'm just going with what I feel is is right. And I think the Bucks are going to get out of this, this first round because this is what Toronto does. They choke every year in the first round. Last year was the 
only year in the last, what, three, four years they got out of the first round. So you got a suspect team in Toronto who's known for this. You got a team that's on the come up in Milwaukee. They're, they're really, this is two games now where they just put the smackdown on Toronto. And there's only been three games so far. Toronto, yeah, Toronto can still pull out this series, but they have to make a night and day change for the next, you know, four, five games in this, four games in this series. So with that said, are you changing your prediction? I guess I have to, right? I guess change I have your prediction. We'll still, give you your, we'll give you a chance. I'm still gonna go with Spurs in the West. But Oh wow you going this way Okay hold on go ahead But I'm going to say Wizards come out the east Oh boy Oh boy Bucks Bucks Wizards Eastern Conference Finals Bucks beating the Cavs I said it I said it Bucks are going to beat the Cavs Bucks beat the Cavs Bucks versus the Wizards, Wizards in the NBA Finals. Man, Adam Silver will hate that. <laughs> that would be like the worst rated Eastern Conference Finals of all time. Yeah, if, in case you haven't noticed, I want the networks to suffer apparently with my with my finals predictions. <laughs> and you want San Antonio versus who? San Antonio versus Washington, but in the in the Western Conference. Oh, um, it's gonna be Spurs versus Warriors. Okay, okay, okay. I thought you had some. Thought you had some other kind of crazy. No, 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 no. Like you were like San Antonio. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing with the second round. (laughs) If if the Jazz beat the Clippers, the Jazz should just pat themselves on the back for getting to the second round this year, and. The Wizards will do away with them. I mean, the Warriors will do away with them. If it's the Clippers, the Warriors will probably sweep the Clippers because the Warriors have owned the Clippers for the last three years. The Warriors will. The Warriors will either sweep or win in five. I don't think it'll be much of a match. So sweep or gentleman sweep, yeah. either one. So it, it might it might let them go home. Winning game in front of their fans. Matter of fact, what I would do, I'll win all. Th- I'll win the first three games. Let them win a game at home, make them happy, and no. then go back to my home court and then just. They're not gonna do that. They're gonna win in four. You know why they're gonna win four. in four? Because L.A. is not that far of a drive from Oakland. Oh, that's true. They're gonna probably just go back to the beds. I'm like, all right, we'll be back. They're they're gonna sweep them in four plus. These guys are trolls. Draymond is a troll. They're going to want to sweep them in their own home. That's true. That is true. And they have no love loss against the Clippers. Clippers want to act like they're their rivals and they haven't beat them in three years. So Warriors are going to want to step on them any chance they can. That's fair. I'll give you that. So it's going to be Spurs, Spurs Warriors in the Eastern Conference because I don't think Houston can can beat San Antonio in the second round. 
All right. So once I'll again, it's going to be Pop versus D'Antoni. And we always know how that matchup goes. Yep. I know. And we already know how you want it to go. Hey, I'm just I'm just saying this is what this is my thing. And you still got Warriors Cavs, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sticking with that. I mean, there's no reason to change it right now. No, there's you no know. reason. It's the safest approach. Cavs are up 3-0. Warriors are going to sweep the Blazers probably. So I mean, I've heard things that people saying, oh, yeah, maybe the Blazers. I'm like, what? Like, I'm I'm, nah. I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to go with everyone knew for the – it worked last year. Last year, we already knew who was going to the NBA Finals, so no one was surprised when Cleveland got there. It was just a matter of who was going to win. So I'd rather just do that. And let the rest be that. Yep, there we go. So we're looking forward to this next weekend, you know, with all the upcoming game threes and game fours. And, uh, you know, maybe next time me and Leif talk, um, there'll be some teams already going to the second round. So we can talk about that, maybe have some referendum on some of the teams that got booted already. And and look forward and look ahead to those second round matchups a little more. I know we got ahead of ourselves a little bit, but that that's what the playoffs are about. The playoffs are about hot takes. They're about saying this team is trash after one game or this team is the best team in the league after one game. That's the fun. That that's the fun of it as a fan. You dissect this one game and it means so much for forty eight hours until the next time those two teams play. Yeah, we got to be that way. Things change so quickly, and it gives us something to talk about. Well, this was fun, man. Thanks for chatting up with me, as always, Leif. You know, everyone listening, if you have any playoff thoughts, feel free to get it out to us. You can use the hashtag PacePlayoffs on, on Twitter. You can hit us up on Facebook. Facebook.com slash the sideline reporter. You can leave a question there for us. We'll answer it here on the pod. Um, you can leave us a question on Twitter. You, you can hit us up directly. You can find me at CalDan384 on Twitter. You can find Leif at LDB Creations on Twitter. And yeah, just let us know how you're enjoying the playoffs. Rag on me for my playoff predictions. Whatever you want to do, uh, hit us up. All right, Leif, thanks for talking with me, man. Anytime. Everyone, have a good one. Peace out. Peace out.